everyone together. O come, O come, Emmanuel, stanzas one, two, and three. O come, O come, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until Son of God appear. that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Uh, if you have 357, you can keep it open a little bit. Aha, uh -huh, you did. You read my mind. I did. Um, the season of Advent, there are four Sundays, and it is a unique season for a number of reasons. The collects for four, three of the four Sundays are all addressed to the sun. The first Sunday, and the third, and the fourth. It's from the collects and then the introit and verse for the week or intervenient chant that you really learn what the theme is for that Sunday. In the gospel for this Sunday, there are the representatives of the Pharisees 
who come to John the Baptist asking, who are you? By what authority do you do these things? There certainly would be opportunity to address snot-nosed, pig-headed, pharisaical self-righteousness as the preaching of the law for this Sunday. However, that is not the angle that the propers for the day take. Rather, the propers for the day address themselves to the weight of sin, which not only so easily weighs us down as Christians, but we're bothered by it. See, what is the unique thing about the Pharisees in terms of their sin? Given what I just said, That's right. They were not bothered by it. Not bothered by their sin at all. Here is a paradox for you. It is very, very, very more likely that you as a Christian are experiencing the evidence of your Christian faith by the fact that you're bothered by your sins. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who's bothered by their sins is a Christian. But it is this anfechtungen, the German word, that has to do not simply with struggles on the outside, but especially the burden of weakness from within. It's what I quote so often from St. Paul in Romans 7, the good that I would do, I don't do. That which I would not do is the very thing that I do, O wretched man that I am. Now, Saul of Tarsus, who was converted and became the Apostle Paul, when he was the Apostle Paul, excuse me, when he was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, he was full of brutal self-righteousness and pride, which, by the way, this is an as, a, somewhat of an aside. When Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, you know, it says in the Acts of the Apostles that he is still breathing out threats and murder against the Christians. Jesus simply says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's it. If I were in the position of Jesus confronting the persecutor of the church, my natural fleshly response would be to grab him as an Okay, and, and I just... You know, there's a place for the crushing condemnation of the law. However, the crushing condemnation of the law, John the Baptist did not deliver it, nor did Jesus, with a sense of self-righteousness themselves. 
even though, I mean, if anybody, if anybody could say, you know, could deliver the law with self-righteousness, it should have been Jesus, right? Because he had no sin. But instead, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here with you is empathy for the sinner. And how does he, how does he direct himself when it is to the, to the self-righteous Pharisees? I can tell you right now, you're not going to win any Pharisee over to faith in Jesus by getting in their face. You might feel good about it, but you're not going to win them over. So Jesus asks him the question, why are you persecuting me? And I can imagine, well, he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus. And, and we know the answer, why? Why was he leading the persecution effort? Because I hate the forgiveness of sins. I hate the grace of God. I hate the message you are preaching. I, I, I don't hate that message, understand. I, I'm talking, this is St. Paul, prior to him becoming St. Paul. So I think, I think we, we urge preachers especially, and I've been thinking about this for a lot of years, okay? I think we err as preachers because, man, we're going to hammer that self-righteousness. And all it does is create more pharaohs. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> you know, pharaohs, hardness of heart. But why are you persecuting me? So you say, ah, Christians are a bunch of bigots. Why do you hate us? Let them explain why they hate you. Because you believe that marriage is... Or whatever, you know. We do. Because the Son of God is the bridegroom that came from heaven to redeem all of humanity. And he shows us what it is to be a man by sacrificing himself so that we might live. See, this is the way in which you preach the, 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 the law with the gospel in view. And so people to come to confront the reality of their situation. Last week, Jesus, you know, said to the multitudes, you know, who did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed blowing in the wind? Who did you go out to see? And a king in a palace? No. You went to see the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But who did you go out to see? A prophet, I tell you, yes, and more than a prophet. Then he goes to talk about John the Baptist. There's no greater prophet, and yet he's the least in the kingdom. And then Jesus says... There, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And Saul of Tarsus, as a Pharisee, was scandalized by the offense of the cross. I mean, how can Christianity, in its purest form, be accused of being a bigoted religion when, according to the gospel, Jesus has universal unqualified grace for all mankind. 
How can he be considered the Christian gospel a bigoted thing when he sacrifices his life for all of humanity? Now, maybe someone thinks that Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't deserve it, and of course he doesn't, but Jesus still died for him. So if someone's going to be angry in pharisaical self-righteousness at the Christian gospel, I just want them to understand the reason they're angry. It's not for the accusations that are so often leveled against the church, although sometimes the church screws up. When the church acts like the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees were in the Old Testament church. <laughs> but in terms of the gospel, you know, to have empathy. I've told you before, you know, seeing, seeing um, a withering member who hasn't been in church for a while in the, in the store, you know, the grocery store, I really think some pastors are like, ooh, there's John Doe. <laughs> I, I don't want to see John Doe. Instead, you know, you see that weather and remember, it's Steve, how are you? Good to see you. How's Joanne? What's Ashley up to these days? I haven't seen her in a while. Kind of hanging out. Okay, okay, you know, because they're not expecting that. Instead, so Steve, you haven't been in church for a while. Don't you re realize you're transgressing the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day, you ungrateful wretch? Well, that'll do a lot to win him over. There's the pastor. He's full of self-righteousness and pride again. Okay. All right, so coming back to the theme for this Sunday in particular, um, the, yes, let's, Pastor Gelbach, we have to wait for him. I, I just um, want to go back to the Pharisees and their attitude that they hate salvation, they hate forgiveness. And is, to carry that further, is that because they think they've got it and they don't want anybody else to have it? Or... Well, it, 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 let me nuance your answer okay. in a different way. If, if the forgiveness of sins, if the gospel of God's grace is free in Jesus and only this forgiveness and grace of his cross can save you, then that means what about my works? They're worthless. That's right. Randy, why don't you give me that? Because you're up there, you know, you're, you're like, you're crawling on the floor like one of your grandchildren. the mute switch. As I was listening to what you were saying earlier, the thought just kept running through my mind. We all have the old Adam in us. Right. And, and that's the where result, the empathy comes from, Randy. Well, and the result of salvation is the old Adam will be drowned and die. It doesn't want to be drowned that's and correct. die. That's correct. And that, I think, is what emanates all of this. But it's in all of us, as you said. We can all empathize with this because in this life, it'll never be gone. 
Hang on to that for a minute, because I think you're going to respond next. Oh, let him hang on to it. <laughs> the good that you would do, you don't do. Okay, because I, 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 Randy may have a, a have a comment to add to what I'm going to say next year. So, in the collect for this week, you have stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might. Now, it's it's the might and the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So help us by your might that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. So the sins that weigh us down, and I don't know what they all are for everybody. When you come to private confession, I get to have a, a little bit of a window into understanding what they are. But you see how the burden and the weight of sin were yearning for it to be quickly lifted. Then if you go to the, I'm going to take it kind of like in reverse order, the Alleluia verse for the week. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. And that's a petition also addressed to the Son. Like Thomas this week we'll hear, my Lord and my God, he confesses. And then in the intervenient chant from Psalm 145, the Lord is nigh, he's near unto all them that call upon him. That is anticipating the epistle for the day, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. Um, in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests pour out your soul before the Lord. So the Lord is nigh to all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name. And of course, the praise of the Lord, that is uh, spoken of by Peter in his epistle. Once you are in darkness, now you are in light. Once you are not a people, now you are in the light of the Lord that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light is the confession of the gospel of the birth, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus all for you and for your salvation. So to speak about those things is praise of God. You know, I would like, I would like visitors that come to our churches across the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to leave after every Sunday morning, or if they, if they come as a visitor, they've never been, to leave on a Sunday morning and say, wow, those, those people believe in this Jesus as if he is their God and Savior and the source of all forgiveness and comfort and life. That's what I'd like them to conclude as opposed to leaving and saying, I had a cigarette as I was walking to the door of the church and then some usher came out and said, you know, there's no smoking here. And I just, I decided I, I needed to come to church and I came and I was wearing raggedy blue jeans and someone came up to me and said, uh, you know, we dress a little nicer here, we're in the Lord's house. Get the, get the picture? I'm not encouraging you to, 
y'all to dress like bums, but I'm, I'm encouraging this understanding and empathy for other sinners. All right, you, I said we're going to work backwards. The antiphon of the introit, drop down ye heavens. This is where the uh, Latin name comes from, the rorite celli. Uh, drop down ye heavens, ye heavens drop down. Drop down what? Well, righteousness. So let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and bring forth salvation. Now that's, that has absolutely zero to do with the righteousness of the law. When the heavens open and rain down, pour down righteousness, see the image of this is Christ being poured down. The righteousness of his, of his mercy and forgiveness. And it causes the earth to bring forth the fruits of faith in praise to the Lord. Let the earth bring forth uh, salvation. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Links together the order of the universe in some mysterious way with the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Okay. Um, so this is why, although the Pharisees send representatives to John, who are you? By what authority do you do these things? The real message of the law for this Sunday is not bashing the Pharisees and their self-righteousness, but addressing the weight of sin which weighs us down and gently turning the hearts to the wisdom of the righteous one, Christ, to despair of self and rejoice to find their, their sufficiency in Christ. Now, the reason I ask you to hang on to that is uh, this has given me the opportunity. I started with issues, etc., looking forward to next Sunday, looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, started it for the first Sunday in Advent. I know Randy lis listens. Did you listen this week? I did. Okay. And uh, Jim Furking uh, mentioned to me on Wednesday that he was listening. I think, Polly, you're listening. I don't know, Marty, if you are or not. Do you, I, just curious, do you have any comments to make oh. about those? It, it would be Polly difficult. Polly does if you don't. It would be difficult to comment in brief, but I, I appreciate the consistent approach the order with which you go through the propers and you build and you link and you connect things together. I just find it really useful and, and I'm able to listen when I'm driving to and fro to get the concept of this Sunday of the lectionary in my mind so it can you know, stew and digest for a while before Yeah, the, the, the sequencing, I always start with the collect for the day, maybe some general introduction, collect for the day, then move on to the introit, then the verse that sets up the gospel so that those things are all moving to the gospel for today and then supplementing with the other readings. Polly? That's just what I was going to say and that it, it really puts the importance of those other readings and how they connect to the gospel, that they're just not, you know, readings here and there. Yeah, so you, you can see in the epistle for today, you know, we're so easily weighted down with sin, then the epistle is the invitation to faith 
Rejoice in the Lord always. That's, that's speaking of the Lord Jesus. Again, I say rejoice. And then pour out your soul to the Lord. He is at hand. Again, the Lord Jesus is at hand. Okay. Now, so uh, a, a little bit about uh, this Sunday. And then last Sunday, uh, handed out in the bulletin as we typically do, the O antiphons, these ancient antiphons, upon which the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is based. And it's in those antiphons are also listed for you right next to him, 357, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And um, I don't have the references here, and I should actually put them in. There's a number of significant Bible passages passages for each of these antiphons. Uh, December 17th, of course, was yesterday. That's why it came out in last Sunday's bulletin. Today's the 18th. But I'd like you to look at the, the, um, the petitions. O wisdom, it's a name for Jesus, proceeding from the mouth of the Most High, pervading and permeating all of creation. It means that, that, that Christ is, if you were, if you will, the wisdom from God by which the entire creation is held together. Like Colossians 1, um, in him all things were created and in him all things hold together. Here's the petition. Come and teach us the way of prudence. Now, this way of prudence or wisdom is the prudence or wisdom that flows from the gospel, from the good news. Today's, O Adonai, which was the term substituted in place of Yahweh, Yahweh the holy name, I am, so Adonai was used as a substitute. It means Lord. O Adonai and ruler of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, that's where he said, I am who I am, and gave him the law on Sinai. Now the law makes demands of us and so forth. Look at the petition. Come with an outstretched arm and redeem us. So we're praying the law threatens, the law accuses from Mount Sinai. This antiphon is addressed to him as our Redeemer. Great coincidence, it falls on this Sunday where the kinsman-redeemer theme is highlighted in the gospel with the loosing of the sandal. And uh, in case you missed it from the sermon or you want to hear it again, the, the Old Testament rite of redemption by the kinsman-redeemer of either that nearest kinsman who was willing to redeem or another kinsman who was willing to redeem but needed to have that right granted by the nearest kinsman who says, I can't touch it. That willingness was indicated by laying the foot bare naked. So you loose the sandal, you lay, lift the sandal up, the foot is bare naked. And uh, that indicated the willingness to suffer the risk to the Redeemer's person. 
okay, by marrying this woman and so forth. Can you imagine, so, you know, some of you, if your brother died and you, you, according to the law, were to redeem his wife, which would mean marry her or take over whatever indebtedness she had, uh, whatever personality she had, you know, would, you like to, would you like to redeem your sister-in-law? Okay, would you like to do that? Think about the risk it might be to you. So the near kinsman, the closest male relative, had that right. In the story of Ruth and Boaz, we're not given the name of the near kinsman. But when he finds he's got to marry a Moabite woman, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. And Boaz steps forward and says, I'll do it. He calls the elders of Bethlehem together to witness it. He takes off his sandal. You are witness this day that I am redeeming Ruth. And then the near kinsman says, thank you, because I didn't want to do it. So you look here, come with an outstretched arm and redeem us, buy us back from the accusation of the law, from the law's condemnation. Okay, then the 19th, which is tomorrow, root of Jesse, O root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples. Do you know what an ensign is? It's, it's the, like the banner that is carried before the army into battle. Okay? The root of Jesse, interesting, grows out of the seemingly dead stump of Jesse because remember what happened. Saul's kingdom, he was rejected as king. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. David takes over, tribe of Judah. This is the messianic tribe. But what happens? The Davidic kingdom after Solomon crumbles. And the divided kingdom, first the Assyrians go away, then the southern kingdom of Judah is taken captive. It seems as if there is no more. So out of this dead stump, however, the root of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, the Messiah comes. Christ O root of Jesse, standing as an ensign before the peoples. So he leads his people in battle, before whom all kings are mute, to whom all nations will do homage. So anticipating uh, the coming again in glory when every knee shall bow. Come quickly to deliver us. Look at how these petitions are expressing in every case so far the yearning of those who, like this Sunday, those Christians who are weighted down by the burden of sin. Okay? Yes? On the 19th, the Good Friday reading says he is a root out of dry ground. Yeah. And it also says kings shall shut their mouths at him. Yeah, on Good Friday. And, and in the reproaches of Good Friday... What more could I have done for my people than I have done for them? It's from the prophets. And there's an answer. Die for them. That's what more he could do, which he, of course, did. All right, uh, December 20th, Christ, King of David, O Key of David, and Scepter of the House of Israel. Um, in numerous places in the scriptures, uh, you can think of the book of Revelation, 
I have the keys of the kingdom. I bind and no one can loose. I loose and no one can bind. The authoritative word of Christ by which we are unshackled from the threatening perils of our sins, colic for the first week of Advent. So, O key of David's scepter, which the king has of the house of Israel, you open and no one can close. You close and no one can open. So, if he forgives you your sin, then your sin is forgiven indeed. Okay? What word do you trust in, by the way? You trust the word of the law for your salvation? No. Or the word of the gospel? Gospel. Good, good. Come and rescue the prisoners who are in darkness and the shadow of death. So the prison house of sin, death, the power of Satan, the judgment of the law, come and rescue. The 21st of December. O dayspring. So these are all names for Jesus. Key of David, now dayspring. That's the dawning of a new day. Splendor of light everlasting. Come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. On Saturday, Christmas Eve, you'll hear the words from Isaiah. Or if you come this afternoon, you'll hear them again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's the light of God's love and forgiveness in the Redeemer. Come enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. December 22nd, Christ, the King of the nations. O King of the nations, the ruler they long for, the cornerstone uniting all people, come and save us all whom you formed out of clay. So have we had any petition in the antiphons yet that don't ask in some way for the Lord's forgiveness, salvation, comfort? Not a single one. They're all in that in that arena. And then finally, O Emmanuel, which means God with us, our King and our Lord, the anointed for the nations and their Savior, come and save us, O Lord our God. That's December 23rd, of the day before Christmas Eve. So among the nice things about O Come, O Come, or of the, the O Antiphons is uh, you learn where the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, comes from. Um, but it also, and more importantly, it, it really pushes the yearning of God's people, the yearning for his salvation. Over against the temptation, and here's where the preaching of the law would come in, for the church of trying to find our comfort, our deliverance, to have the weight of sin lifted by our efforts, by our piety, by our spiritual resolve, by our loves. One of the reasons why sin is so troubling for the Christian is because according to the new man, we want to love God and our neighbor. So when we fail the smart can be more intense than for those who are operating out of a works righteous faith. So, hopefully that's somewhat helpful to you. Any other comments or questions here? John Bruss.
Thank you. Um, in the last two sentences of the, is it on? It's on. Just it's on. Yeah. The last two sentences of the top paragraph in Congregation and Prayer, Thomas's insistence that he must see the resurrected Lord was proper. Yeah. From first grade on. Yeah, I know. Doubting Thomas was an epithet. Right. From first grade on, Doubting Thomas was an epithet. Now, it was a Wisconsin Senate school, you know, but. Well, for me too, okay? And uh, I was Missouri Senate. Brief time in the wells, but Missouri. Um, first of all, is there any such thing as a Christian in this world that doesn't have simultaneously faith and doubt? Of course. But the reason why that sentence says that it was proper that he insists to see is because if, you, if the apostles were to take Jesus at his word, that they would be the actual authoritative witnesses of his death and resurrection they had to see. If Jesus' word is true, if his call and command to them is true, then they must see. Okay? Now, do I think that there was no, unless I see, I will not believe that there was no doubt in there at all? I'm not going to analyze his heart, but it was proper that he insists to see. Because what does Jesus do? Here's another one of these examples of how, what he doesn't do. What I, like when I grabbed Steve here earlier this morning, he doesn't... You know, Thomas says, unless I see, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus appears. And he doesn't say, shame on you. You should have known I'd rise. Why do you insist on seeing? He doesn't do that at all. Instead, Thomas said, unless I see and I want to touch, I won't believe. So Jesus says, Thomas, reach here your hand and touch my hands. Reach your hand and touch my side. Be not faithless, but believing. But the faith is based upon the fulfillment of the word in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is, this is something that I've been stressing a lot over the last few years because it's critically important. Why does, the, why does the universe exist? Why does the earth exist? Why do we exist? Because God said, and it was so. Which means that our very existence and the ordering of the creation is bound up with one singular reality. God said, and it was so. No wonder then, and that what he says always is filled up with the eternal logos. Ha logos, the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Now, the only beholding... Oh, that's kind of a crummy color, isn't it? Here, we'll get some green in there. Well, anyway, that's, that's not working either. All right. The we, the first reference in the plural pronoun is John as an apostle. We only behold God's glory. Through the apostolic witness, the apostolic word. This last week, we had um, the celebration of St. John, apostle and evangelist. 
What does he say in 1 John? That which we have seen and heard concerning the word of life, we proclaim to you. We've handled the word of life. That's literal. I mean, they touched Jesus. They ate and drank with him. So this is why in the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles, the names of the Apostles are listed. Because the church needed to know who were the guys who saw him, who heard him, and just as importantly, were ordained and sent out by him to be his apostles. Apostle means one who is sent out on behalf of another. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the apostles are not merely witnesses of events. But here's what I've been emphasizing. They are witnesses of the fulfillment of the word, of the scriptures, of the promises. That's why in these are very important passages when we read the Gospels. As it was written by the prophet, as it was proclaimed by the patriarchs of old. Because their, see, and their faith then of those who heard them was based on the earlier passages that find their fulfillment in Christ's birth, death, resurrection now. Okay? So anyway, sorry, John, that was a long excursus, but does that help? Thanks for, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. Paul Wehrman. Uh, regarding issues, etc., uh, if they have you ever listened a few times. <laughs> uh, regarding issues, etc., if they would have a program on the development of the Western order of service, uh, and I imagine there's some gaps, some things we really don't know. But if they would have such, the series that you and others are involved in might be more meaningful to the hearers. This being interpreted, the way they are now, they're not meaningful at all to the hearers. Um, well, it's a good, it, it's, it's a very good suggestion and I, I, about, you know, the development. And this is, this is one of these uh, kind of mysterious things. What inspired the lectionary choices? What inspired the proper's choices, the introits, the graduals, what inspired the collects for, that are of many of them over a thousand years old, you know, what, what inspired these things? Well, who inspires anything? The Holy Spirit, through the divine word and meditation and contemplation on the gospel, inspires these things. And so I think this is, this is um, they couldn't be produced, Paul, in our age, I don't think. Each age in the ancient church, each century, decade, there were, by the inspiration of the Spirit through the divine word, 
texts that bubbled up. And what inspires you to pray, O Lord, come, save me. O Lord, enlighten the darkness of my heart and mind by your gracious visitation. O Lord, I am weighed down by my sins. Lift the burden of my sins. What inspires that? The preaching of the gospel itself. And so when you're praying for those things, because it's been inspired by the gospels, then these psalms pop out at you. Drop down from heaven your righteousness and let the earth spring forth salvation for all of the people there. So it's a very, I mean, Will Whedon, who knows a lot more than I do about the history of things, even, you know, he has just scratched his head and marveled about how these things came to be. All right. Any other, uh, other questions? Nichts. Now, we don't, uh, I, I'd like you to pay attention then, too, when you're coming this, this Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, Advent goes through the daytime of December 24th, and then the Nativity of our Lord begins on Christmas Eve. And that's when the candle in the middle of the wreath is called the Christ candle. It's similar to the Paschal candle, but they're two different candles. The Paschal candle um, that stands by the font, except when we're uh, having to move things out of the way for this afternoon's service. Paschal candle stands for Christ, our Passover lamb. The Christ candle is really embodying the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, not that he became flesh on Christmas morning, but nine months earlier, the word became flesh. But it's on Christmas that we see the shepherds saw. The Magi came and saw. And at Jesus' baptism until his resurrection, the apostles saw. So the lighting of the candle is the revelation of seeing the babe in the manger, the fruition, the culmination of those promises that led to his birth. Susan. Is glory always connected to light? I believe glory is always connected to light. So the glory cloud in the Old Testament, and I love that term, that's a, a John Kleinig term, glory cloud, um, is the cloud, the presence of Yahweh between the cherubim. Listen for that today at the Lessons and Carol service. We'll be singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel with these acclamations uh, that chants preceding various verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And these chants, you'll notice, I forget which one it is, number four or five, where today's intro it is one of these chants, but it talks about um, between the cherubim. It's a reference to the Old Testament tabernacle, the glory cloud between those the cherubim that gazed upon the location of God's mercy where the blood of atonement 
and water was spilled. So that connects us to Christmas Eve. Fear not. There is born to you in the city of David a Savior is Christ the Lord. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. That's the same glory that was between the cherubim, the glory of God's love and sacrifice in the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, um, which then takes us back to dwelt among us. This uh, phrase literally means tabernacled. And so it does. John's testimony is to say, yes, the place of the Lord's saving presence in the Old Testament was that tabernacle. But now the true and abiding tabernacle of the Lord, the place of his saving presence, is his flesh. Okay? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the light of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. So that is on... Um, Christmas Eve, you look forward to that in the lighting of the Christ candle. Christmas morning at 9.30, uh, then we hear the full text of John 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, L-I-F-E, and this life, L-I-F-E, was the light of men. So, Susan, there you go, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We beheld his glory. So, light is always, always associated with that. And if you've ever been in a place where there is no light, it doesn't matter how good your eyes are, you will see absolutely nothing. But in this light, the light who is Christ the light who is the life of all mankind. We see everything rightly. So that's Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, you'll notice that the um, Exodus reading is for the Old Testament, which talks about the appointment of the tabernacle. Then, because of this John reading, and then um, we will sing a great hymn by Chad Bird, the infant priest, was wholly born for, lust, for us unholy and forlorn. So those connections are so rich and uh, wonderful. Okay? Now we won't, have, um, we won't have Bible class on Christmas Day. We won't have Bible class on New Year's Day. New Year's Day we will celebrate January 1st, the circumcision of our Lord in the naming of Jesus. So a great blessing to do that. And it doesn't always fall on a Sunday. But again, both of those days, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, 9.30 divine service. All right, we'll see you this afternoon and throughout the week. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen.